It is Wednesday, January 4th, and this is People Every Day. Hi guys, Janine Rubenstein here with you, and we have a lot to follow up on, including the latest on the state of actor Jeremy Renner and Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin. We'll also be taking a deep, deep dive into the University of Idaho murders. We'll update you on the timeline of events, how investigators narrowed down the suspect, and give you the latest on his extradition. New year, same busy show. Let's dive in. A family member of Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin, is speaking out. As we discussed yesterday, Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field during Monday's Bills and Bengals game in Cincinnati. Players, coaches, and fans watched as medical personnel performed CPR and resuscitated him. The whole thing was just so scary to watch in real time. Bengals fan Lawrence Holland was in attendance at the game and shared with people what it was like to witness the ordeal in person. He said, quote, Honestly, it didn't even register that the play was any different from any other play. Everyone was cheering. It just seemed like a normal thing. Another Bengals fan, R.J. McNair, shared, quote, They were treating him for such a long time, and a hush spread across the crowd. You could see the looks on everyone's face on the field. That's when I knew this was a very bad thing. Hamlin's uncle, Dorian Glenn, told CNN that his nephew was resuscitated a second time away from cameras. Quote, they resuscitated him on the field before they brought him to the hospital, and then they resuscitated him a second time when they got him to the hospital. The uncle also added that the 24-year-old safety is lying flipped over on his stomach to help with blood in his lungs in an effort to get him breathing on his own. Hamlin remains sedated, and Glenn said that the family is just taking it day by day. Quote, it seems like he's trending upwards in a positive way. As of this recording, Damar Hamlin remains under close watch at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. We continue to hope for the best for Hamlin and his loved ones. Moving on to another medical update, Jeremy Renner has spoken out himself for the first time since his New Year's Day accident. Authorities have shared the details of Renner's accident and stated that the Marvel actor was helping a family member get a stuck vehicle out of roughly three feet of snow near his home in Reno, Nevada. The Washoe County Sheriff stated, quote, Mr. Renner went to retrieve his piston bully or snowcat, an extremely large piece of snow removal equipment weighing at least 14,000 330 pounds in an effort to get his vehicle moving. So Renner then apparently got out of the snow removal vehicle to speak with the family member, and that's when the massive machine started to roll. The sheriff then added, quote, in an effort to stop the rolling piston bully, Mr. Renner attempts to get back in the driver's seat of the piston bully. Based on our investigation, it's at this point that Mr. Renner is run over by the piston bully. I mean, run over by a 14,000-pound snowplow and surviving is just unreal. No wonder he plays superheroes. The authorities said they do not suspect foul play or that the Avengers actor was impaired. The best news is that Renner updated fans and followers with a photo posted to Instagram where he's seen lying in a hospital bed with an oxygen tube and a very bruised face. The caption read, quote, Thank you all for your kind words. I'm too messed up now to type, but I send love to you all. I can't imagine how much pain he must be in, but it's great to see that he's alert and doing well enough to take a selfie. And now it's time to turn our attention to one of this week's cover stories, the University of Idaho murders. (laughs) 
On Tuesday, 28-year-old Brian Koberger, a criminology student at Washington State University, faced a judge for the very first time since being arrested for the slaying of four beloved University of Idaho college students, all 21 years old and younger, who each had a promising future ahead. And now, as the college town of Moscow, Idaho, breathes a sigh of relief as major ground has been covered in this murder mystery, more questions remain as details continue to pour in. So to take me into the latest surrounding what we know now and what remains unsolved is people's crime writer, Steve Helling. Hey, Steve, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Well, what we know for sure, Moscow, Idaho experienced a dreadful loss on November 13th last year when Kaylee Goncalves, Madison Mogan, Zaina Kernodal, and her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, were tragically murdered by knife at an off-campus home. And after countless hours investigating this case, Authorities say they have caught the man who they believe is responsible for this horrific crime. So take us back to what happened that day. Obviously, all four of these victims had been stabbed multiple times by a large fixed blade knife while they slept, it looked like, even though at least one of them had some sort of defensive wounds. But then there were two roommates who were unharmed and they slept through the attack on a different floor of the house. So we've had this time where we've been waiting for something to happen, for somebody to be named as a suspect. And it wasn't until December 30th that Moscow police even announced that they had arrested Brian Koberger and that he was taken into authorities all the way across the country. So, you know, we had had almost six weeks where we were wondering, is this going to be solved? Is anything going to happen? And, you know, the, right at the end of the year, this arrest happened. Goodness, you can only imagine like what that campus community must have been feeling in those weeks of hearing nothing. But authorities say they were tight-lipped for a reason since the beginning of this case, which kind of led the public to believe that things weren't happening. But now we see that wasn't the case. So walk me into why authorities are still not releasing how they zeroed in on this suspect. Well, to start with, we're going to know more once the affidavit of probable cause is released. And that can't happen until he appears in court in Idaho. Obviously, since he was arrested in Pennsylvania, we have to wait for him to travel. So we can only go with what's being reported right now. And once this affidavit comes out, we'll know more information. But authorities have not officially talked about how they zeroed in on him. But what we do know is that really early on, they were looking for this white Hyundai Elantra. And at the time, they were saying, well, you know, we're looking for this vehicle. They may be somebody who knew something, but we didn't know that this was the car that they believed that the killer would have been driving. And now we know that a similar vehicle to this car has been impounded at the Koberger family home in Pennsylvania and will be transported again to Idaho for investigation. We also have heard reports from other news outlets that he was identified through a genealogy database. There was blood that they believed belonged to the killer at the scene. So whether or not the genealogy database really has anything to do with what happened, we'll know more when this probable cause affidavit comes out. Well, the question atop of everyone's mind right now is, why do authorities believe he killed those four students? Officially, no. No information has been released and won't be released until he's extradited about why he is suspected of killing these four people. We do know that an Instagram account that 
is believed to be Koberger's followed at least two of the victims at one point. Obviously, following somebody on Instagram doesn't mean that you even know them, that you've ever had any sort of interaction with them. But that's the only thing we know for sure that connects everybody together. And that's a very tenuous link. So we have to wait for this probable cause affidavit to come out. Well, since being detained, Koberger, who claims he is innocent, is no longer listed as a student on the WSU website. And those who knew him paint him as someone who did have a bit of a troubled past. Just explain to people a little bit of his backstory. Sure. Well, first of all, you know, Koberger has no previous criminal history at all. So he wasn't really on the police's radar at the time. He had a rough uh, upbringing. He was a very quiet guy who was once believed for his weight. He had finished his undergraduate degree and he was pursuing a forensic psychology profession. And in doing that, he decided to get a PhD at Washington State University's Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology. And even though that's Washington and this happened in Idaho, they were all right on the border. He was going to school eight miles away from where the crime was committed. Mm. We also know that he was doing, perhaps it was research, but he posted on Reddit Somebody who we believe was him posted on Reddit asking ex-convicts to participate in a research project that would understand their emotions and their psychological traits. And, you know, a lot has been made of this. And as somebody who has a background in criminal justice through my education, I will say that that doesn't seem like a totally illegitimate question to ask online for somebody who is doing this type of studying. But clearly, he was interested in the psychology of criminality. And that's certainly very interesting if he's guilty of what he's accused of doing. Got it. Well, this story has just too many twists and new developments to fit into one segment. You guys, after the break, we continue our conversation with Steve Helling and learn what's next for suspect Brian Koberger. Stay right there. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. We are back with People's Crime writer Steve Helling as we continue our conversation surrounding University of Idaho murder suspect Brian Koberger. So, Steve, amid his arrest, Koberger maintains his innocence and is said to be, quote, shocked by the allegation, according to statements made by his public defender, Jason Labar. And according to reporters in the courtroom, he waived his extradition to Idaho, meaning he has voluntarily agreed to return to Idaho to face the charges against him. So take me into these charges and and, and where does the investigation currently stand? Well, we know that he's currently being held in Monroe County, Pennsylvania at the police department there. And yes, usually it takes a few days to extradite somebody. 
especially when they're across the country like this. So as the week goes on and as we get into next week, you know, he will be in Idaho. We will start seeing court activity happen there. We have reviewed an arrest document for extradition in a criminal homicide case. And the county prosecutor over in Idaho confirms that he's been charged with four counts of first-degree murder as well as felony burglary. His public defender says, we don't know much about the case. I haven't gotten the affidavit yet. I don't want to discuss this case until I have all the information. And we'll deal with that as he goes back to Idaho. We don't know the motive, but we expect that his attorney is going to say something like he's looking forward to being exonerated. Basically what happens in these cases. So I wouldn't put too much into what the attorney is saying at the moment. And we are also talking about a public defender who has not really reviewed all the evidence of the case. I think we'll get more elaborate statements and, and more specific statements as things progress forward. Well, Steve, since his first day in court, there are now stories floating around that he is on suicide watch. So do we know this to be true? What we know is that he has been, you know, seen wearing a suicide vest. That's a vest that kind of designates that this is somebody that you need to watch to make sure that they don't commit suicide. But it's really not because there's any specific concern that he's going to take his own life. That's kind of standard operating procedure for any inmate who faces charges that are as serious as these charges are. Got it. Although Koberger is now behind bars, loved ones of the victims are still mourning. Have any of the surviving family members or friends spoken out since his arrest? Like, what are we hearing? Well, we're not hearing a whole lot. The families have been in mourning and aren't doing a lot of talking. But Goncalva's father actually said to CBS News that it was the first bit of joy that they'd had in seven weeks. They hoped that they found the right guy and that this gives them hope that they haven't had in a very long time. I think that we'll probably hear more from some of the other victims' families after there starts being activity in Idaho. And then also there was that statement from Koberger's father, mother, and sister as well. Their statement was actually really interesting. They actually started by saying, you know, first and foremost, we care deeply for the four families who have lost their precious children. There are no words that can adequately express the sadness we feel, and we pray each day for them. So they started off with the victims, and then they move Mm -hmm. on and they say, you know, we'll continue to let the legal process unfold as a family. We'll love and support our son and brother. And then they mentioned that they have fully cooperated with law enforcement agencies because they want to uncover the truth. They use the phrase, they want to promote the presumption of innocence rather than judge unknown facts and make erroneous assumptions. So, you know, Mm. they're giving their condolences to the families of the victims, as well as saying that they're going to support their son and their brother as he goes through this process. And then they ask for privacy, which is a very reasonable thing to ask. So wild, heartbreaking, interesting, all of the different adjectives. Steve, thank you for getting us up to speed on all of this. And we will continue to be on top of this story as it develops. Thank you so much. 
Well, today's show has been anything but a light one, right? We have stars in the hospital surviving near-death experiences, updates on the tragic death of four college students. I know it's easy to get bogged down in the doom and gloom, especially with news like that, and especially when it's cold and gray outside your window every day. But 2023 is still brand new and has a lot of promise and potential. Don't take it from me. Take it from one little girl named Alexandra from the Demi family on Instagram, who's ready to pump you up and to be your bestie. Hey, bestie. 2023 smells like blessings and success. Love you, boo. Now, if that isn't something to make you smile as you start the new year, then I don't know what is. Send all of the motivational and positive messages my way, you guys, please, and thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Can't believe tomorrow's already Thursday. Not that I'm mad about it or anything. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow right here on People Every Day. 